Good morning to all of you. Thank you, my brother. Pete, it's good to see you. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> you don't kick No. <laughs> A few years ago, I was able to put my whole my arms around him. It's a compliment. It's it's a compliment. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Boy, it, it is good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. I tell you, yes, that's right. It, it's it's an amazing privilege to. It's kind of full this morning. Uh, thank you for joining us online, and uh, we trust that together we will grow in God's Word, and um, it's a humbling opportunity to, to share with you, to present, choose from God, God's Word. Let's look to the Lord in prayer and, and ask His blessings. Father, thank you for your Word this morning. It's, a, it's such a privilege and honor. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a real moment of humility, Lord, just to stand before your people and, and uh, knowing that there's nothing that I can do in and of myself to communicate your truth. Lord, uh, I ask you to cleanse me from all sin as I stand before your people. Anoint your servant and teach us together in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I'll be jumping back and forth from the New American Standard to the King James, New King James Version. <clears throat> I, I want to share with you from uh, uh, Philippians chapter 2 this morning. Uh, some of you... You did some homework and you read the passage. If not, we'll read it together. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 2. I'm, uh, my name is Jerry Singh. I'm one of the leaders, one of the elders here at the church. And uh, it's an honor for us as elders to serve you as we serve the Lord together. So, again, thank you for uh, being here with us <clears throat> to study God's Word. Philippians chapter 2. Now, again, there's so much in this section as you do an inductive Bible study in this. this is just, it's so deep and rich and it's dramatic and it's, it changes everything. It, this, this passage, theologians call it the, the greatest uh, Christological passage in the Bible. It, it, it's, it's, it was a hymn that the, the early church used they sang and, and they worshiped together. And so as we read this section, this is, a, this is a powerful passage that became a creed to the early church. <clears throat> so I'm going to pick it up. Read the whole chapter when you get a chance, but I'm going to pick it up from uh, chap, uh, verse 5. All right, I'm going to go to NISB, NESB here. For verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who also... Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall, will, will bow and of things, those things that are in heaven and those things that are under the earth. That every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. May God add his greatest blessing to his word and listening and applying of it this morning. 
<clears throat> I, uh, I heard a story, I, I, can't, I, I don't know the author, but I, it, it, I heard a, a while ago, a few years ago actually, it's a story about two brothers who attended church, and um, they, they were so arrogant, uh, they had absolutely no humility, they were not teachable, they were, uh, I mean, they were living in sin, they, were, they, they had so much uh, divisions in their own homes, um, they treated their, wife in a, in a, their wives in a terrible way, and they were in church, and they just came and worshipped, and, and it was no big deal. And they stood up against the elders. They basically ran off the old pastor. Couldn't take it anymore. These guys just continued to live that way until a new pastor came. And the story tells us that this pastor, he had mostly grit and gristles for his insides. He wouldn't put up with nonsense. He stood up against the people who were causing division. He stood up against these two brothers. But these guys continued to live like the devil. One day the pastor said that he was, uh, the church began to grow, and, and boy, this was an amazing time of, of, um, of encouragement for the church and the town and community. And um, the pastor decided uh, with his elders that they were going to build a new building, and it was going to cost about a million dollars. They didn't have the money, they prayed and prayed and prayed. Meanwhile, these two brothers continued to live like the devil. Well, one of them died suddenly, and it was the task of the pastor to bury this, <laughs> this brother. The living brother came to the pastor and said to him, Pastor, I'll give you a million dollars to finish the project. All I ask you to do is when you preach at my brother's funeral, tell the people that he was a saint. Oh, that wasn't too bad of a deal. Uh, he tried to figure this out. and Anyway, the day at uh, the funeral, he preached to the people and he said that the man in this casket he was, a, he was a wicked man. <laughs> he was ornery. He was deceitful. He had no sense of humility. Just an arrogant man. And he heard the testimony of this church. But compared to his brother who is here today, he was a saint. <laughs> you got the million dollars pocketed it? Or... <laughs> Took it to the bank. And <laughs> what I want to talk to you about this morning, it's, it's, it's an amazing picture of what was going on in the church of Philippi. In this, in this section, now by the way, if you go ahead and you, you find the background of this story, will, you can find it in Acts chapter 16 and so on, the birth of the Philippian church. And if you can recall, if you're familiar with it, if you, if you don't know, just, just go ahead and read from chapter 16 onward. You see uh, the amazing work that God did through Paul. And as Luke penned those words in the book of Acts, after the first missionary journey, uh, we, we know that the, the, the division that happened with, uh, with John Mark and, and Paul when, when Barnabas wanted to go on a second missionary journey and, and, and wanted to take John Mark, Paul said no. And division that was, a, that was an argument that lasted. Let me, let me tell you, this was not resolved until 15 years later. We see it at the end of 2 Timothy, when Paul said, bring John Mark with you, where he's profitable. It took that long. I hope, you know, relationships don't take that long in your life to be resolved. And the reason for that, in the background, God obviously was in absolute control. We know that, that Barnabas and John Mark 
went a different direction, and Paul and Silas went a different direction. And we see as, the, as, the, as uh, Paul and Silas went up to, uh, to Asia Minor, that the Holy Spirit forbid them. Twice the Holy Spirit said, don't go up there. And in the dream, the Holy Spirit spoke to Paul. And that's what we call the Macedonian call. And God sent them to Philippi, to Macedonia. And there we learned about the first conversion, Lydia. We read about the, the, uh, the demon-possessed girl. We, we, we read about the baptisms that happened. We read about the jailer. And when the earthquake shook, when Paul and Silas were in jail. You remember that story? It's an amazing picture of, of what had happened. And, and then the jailer was about to kill himself. Paul said, don't. Don't do this. We're alive. We're safe. And then he cried, what must I do to be saved? And he said what? Acts 16. Believe in what? In the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It really was the birth of the Philippian church. It was, again, an amazing picture of, uh, during his second missionary journey, how the church started. Paul didn't visit the church until five years later on his third missionary journey. And so this book was written, actually, when Paul, uh, he was in prison, uh, at sort of a house arrest, his first uh, imprisonment. And he wrote this book in prison. Uh, this was one of the prison epistles uh, with Ephesians and Colossians and Philemon. So uh, the book of uh, Philippians it's a, it's a dramatic book, but it's a, it's a love story. It's a response to the church as he was in prison. Paul penned his words, and the church sent Epaphroditus to visit him in, in jail and sent him a, a financial gift and stayed with him and, and to encourage Paul. And Paul wrote this letter and sent it back with Epaphroditus. It's a, it's a beautiful response, a love story. And, and in, this, in, this, in this book, we see... Uh, how that relationship grew. There wasn't any really major doctrinal issues in the church, but there was some disunity, some discord. We see an example of that in chapter 4 of Philippians. I, I'm hesitant to say it, but it was with two women. Anyway, uh, this chapter 4 kind of gives the details of that, of the disunity that was caused in the church. And Paul wrote this book to address that. The theme of this book is joy. The theme of the book is joy. Over 16 times in the book of Philippians, Paul talks about joy and rejoicing. That must be saying, that must say something to us. And in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul says, To rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. It seems like when he ran out of words, guess what he did? And again I say rejoice. It's one side of two coins. We are commanded, it's an imperative, to rejoice. And then what's the flip side? When you walk with the Lord, it is one of the what? One of the fruit of the Spirit. Isn't that amazing? They're both tied together. Rejoice in the Lord. It was during one of the waves of persecution in the Roman Empire. He was in prison. He was sick. And he's telling the church to rejoice. And I want to encourage each one of you this morning. That message rings true through the corridors of time, and it applies today. It applied during the time when, when thousands and thousands of Christians were being slaughtered, to rejoice in the Lord always. During the time of the dark ages, during the, the medieval times, when the, when the, the black pay, plague, and a third of Europe was white, they were wiped out. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say Rejoice. It's a message that applies to us in this time, this age of uh, pandemic. 
I know we, 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 all of us are going through a difficult time and we, we, we're cornered and it seems like we're strapped. But we need to be reminded that this is not about circumstances. This is about not how the day shifts or what we experience with circumstances. It is about a deep down confidence that all is well. It's about our relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what joy is all about. It's an attitude. It's a, it's a mindset. That when circumstances change, my mind is on Christ. And I love the way Warren Wesby put it. It's having the submissive mind. And that's why Paul, he wrote this and said, let this mind be in you, which was also in who? In Christ Jesus. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. It's, 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 it's an incredible description of how we maintain the mind of Christ. So if you look with me uh, in Philippians chapter 2, in verse 5, it tells us, let his mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So that, that is the encouragement. There two big things going on here. One, the moral and ethical aspect of this. Religions, uh, who believe, some religions who hold on to the Bible, they take this passage and you see, they say, you see, this is, this is how we ought to live. A great example of the life of Christ. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's a moral and ethical implication. That Jesus set an example for us to follow. But there's, a, there's another side to this. I, 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 that's a one sermon in itself, the, the moral and the ethical. And by way of application, we can do that. But there's a theological side of this. And this is what I want to focus on this morning. Because I think it's something that we miss easily. But there's something going on here in how Christ came to the earth. We know he, just, he came as a little baby and he grew up in his family. And, and then his ministry when he was baptized and so forth. But there's a process. And in many ways, humility is a process. It doesn't just happen. You've got to stick with it. You've got to be faithful. You've got to be committed. And we see this in the life of Christ. <clears throat> so what we're going to do here as we, we, we look at, from, uh, again, from verse 6, who being in the form of God did not consider robbery to be equal with God. If you can have the first uh, help, let's up there. So we're going to be studying the downward steps of Christ's humiliation. The downward steps of Christ's humiliation. And in this verse, verse 6 in particular, who being in the form of God. Now right away, Paul is telling us something. He's alluding to his deity. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time in all of this. We know, we've, we've, been, we've been taught, okay? This is a church that's been taught in the Word. So I don't want to be, uh, this is a... A, a deep subject matter, but I, I know you've been filled with the truth from Pastor Sean. I had the, the, the amazing privilege uh, years ago, when, before we moved to Cheyenne, uh, my wife and I and uh, my family, we were missionaries at uh, a Bible college north of here, Frontier School of the Bible. And I just, uh, it was one of the greatest times, uh, a period in our lives. Um, I was one of the, the instructors there at the Bible college, and I had, this was one of the books that I taught. And so I just, I'm confessing here, okay, I'm, I went back and to look at some of my notes and just brought back so many amazing memories. But this, this teaching 
the depth of this, it just it draws us to, uh, to humility. And this is what this is all about. So, so the thought here is that who being in the form of God did not consider himself to be uh, a robbery to be equal with God. Jesus Christ is God. That's the, that's the bottom line. Okay, I don't, I don't want to have a, an argument or discussion with that right now, but I think we've been taught enough to know and to understand that, that when Paul is talking about his existence as God, uh, we're not talking about a God. Not too long ago, I had a visitor in, in, in front of my garage, exchanging the oil in my car. <clears throat> and it was a, a quite, a, uh, quite an interesting discussion. I had, my buddy came to visit me. Uh, he was in the garage with me. Those guys were at my gate, want to talk. And I'm telling my buddy, hey, you know, I really don't want to talk, talk to these guys right now. Why don't, we, why don't you go ahead? And he said, no, he can't. I, I said, okay, well, let's both go do it. And he, he said, no, 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 I, I, my wife has some things for me to do. I, I better go home. <laughs> this guy hung me out to dry. <laughs> so I walked up to this guy and just talking with him. And basically, he had one story, one message. Jesus Christ is not God. Now, that, that's a story. He's not God. And I, are you serious? And so we got into this discussion. It was getting kind of a... Awkward and, and um, but before my, my friend left, I mean, I grabbed his shirt. The thought, you can't leave me like this, man. We gotta go. His shirt almost came off him, and he's just, he, uh, he, he, I did everything possible, you know. I, I, I threatened him, I, I, uh, I threw the guilt trip. He's gonna die and go to hell if we don't stay. And, and uh, <laughs> no, nope, I gotta go. My wife wants, we need to really get this milk and all that stuff, anyway. <laughs> so I, it was quite, quite, an, quite a morning, uh, an evening. <clears throat> anyway, <clears throat> we got into this discussion, and as we, we got deeper into the discussion, more and more he's revealing that this guy has, has no clue about what was really going on here in terms of the claims of Jesus Christ. I shared with him in John chapter 8, verse 50, that be, Jesus said, Before Abraham was, I am, taking on the very name of God, who said, I am that I am who had sent you. Remember that? In the book of Exodus. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, he is the image of the, ex- and the exact replica of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, and by him all things were created. And then I quoted John, sorry, John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he said, yeah, yeah, but I, I know that verse, but, but the verse doesn't say that he was God. It was a God. I'm sure you've encountered that. Well, I decided to pull out the big guns. I went, can you hold a second? I got, I got, I got to go to my vehicle. I went to my vehicle and pulled out my Greek New Testament. <laughs> and, uh, and I read uh, John chapter 1. In our in as logos, kai, logos, proston, theon, kai, theos, in as logos. John 1, 1 in Greek. And he said, you know what, I'll come back later because I got to go and get my... Uh, my buddy, who's my instructor, we'll have this discussion. And uh, I mean, I'm just reading the thing, okay? I'm not a Greek scholar or anything like that. But it's, it's amazing that when you engage people who say that Jesus is not God, when you start revealing truth, the Holy Spirit does something and exposes the lie. And in this section, we see the first thing that happened is Jesus existed as God. And it was from this high point, the Greek description of this passage it's a beautiful picture. You know how it describes this? Jesus is about to stoop. 
He's about to go down for your sake and mine. And there's a stairway in this picture of Jesus stooping and coming down. And he's going to go lower and lower and lower. That's the incredible story of the incarnation. It starts here. The recognition of Jesus Christ who existed as God. The very essence and the eternal God. In John chapter 5 verse 18, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but also that God was his father making himself equal with God. Those guys who come knocking on your door, they don't even know. They don't even know that, that Jesus' worst enemies, the Christ-rejecting Jews who eventually killed him, they knew. They knew exactly what he was talking about. He was claiming to be God. And they call him on it. <coughs> John chapter 10 verse 33. And, Jew, uh, and the Jews answered, uh, answered him saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy. Because that thou being a man, makest thyself God. And in John 20, 28, Thomas, when he saw the, uh, the, uh, the resurrected Christ, he said, my Lord and my what? And my God. My God. Jesus Christ is God. Okay, let's, let's jump quickly. I, I feel like we've um, said a lot there. Did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Theologians call this section, uh, it's, it's a kenosis. It's, a, it's the emptying. He emptied himself. And, and sometimes, you know, take some time and research that. What, the study of the great kenosis, the kenosis, the Christ, the incarnation, the emptying of Christ. He gave up the great privileges in heaven. He limited himself. He didn't give up deity. He wasn't a demigod, half man, half God. He didn't exchange humanity for deity. He was 100% God and he was 100% man. Amen. That's the, that's the Jesus that we're talking about. That he was God becoming a man. So the second thing we find here is that he became, let's go into the next one. He was in, a, in the form of a bond servant. We see him going lower and lower and lower. He took on the form of a servant, doulos, we're familiar with that word. Isaiah 52 identifies Jesus Christ as the, the servant. The Bible tells us Jesus, he didn't come to be served, but he came to what? To serve. He took on the attitude of a servant. And this is the humiliation, this is the, the humility that Jesus Christ demonstrated. Here he is as God, eternal God that existed from all eternity. And then he lowered himself and becoming servant. A step down. Not a step up. A step down. And there was a, there was a purpose. There was a vision for it. He became a servant. And as we go even lower, the Bible tells that he was made in the likeness of men. But he was made, he made of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And as you read these verses, you begin to see something unfolding. Jesus is going lower and lower and lower. When you think that he just became a servant, he went even lower. He was made in the likeness of men. 
with you and me. Islam teaches that Jesus Christ was just a man. Just like most religions today. They will not accept his deity. In the book of uh, in the Quran, in the, uh, the Quran tells us that, that Jesus, he was in the likeness of man. And that he went to the cross. And Allah did the great substitution, the great miracle. And you know what it was? While Jesus was hanging on the cross, Allah took Judas and put him in his place. And Jesus came down, eventually got married to Mary Magdalene and the other Mary and so forth. You didn't know that was there, huh? That's what Islam teaches. They deny his deity. They believe in his humanity as a great prophet. That's it. He was made in the likeness of men, like you and me. He was a man. He had to become a man to identify with you and me. And, and the, the, the amazing thing about this is that you, as you read, as you continue to read, it says here, he was uh, coming in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. No, you think that that was the, he's referring to the same thing. It's not. It's, there's a slight variation. There's a difference here. He was made in the likeness of men. He was found in fashion as a man. In other words, he did all the miracles. He walked the streets of Jerusalem. He laid hands on the sick and they recovered. He gave sight to those who were blind. He raised the dead. He demonstrated that he was the son of God. And by choice, all that the people saw was just a man. They should have seen more than that. They should have connected the dots in the Old Testament and in the book of Isaiah and Isaiah chapter 53 verses 5 and 6 that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and we have turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord had laid on him the iniquity of us all. And in verse 10 of Isaiah 53, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. They should have seen it. They knew it. In John chapter 3, in the, in, the, in the dialogue with Nicodemus, in verse 10, Jesus said to him, one of the greatest indictments you find in that chapter, or in, that, in fact, in the book, you are a great teacher in Israel, and you don't even know these things? What an indictment. He was made in the likeness of men. But he was found in fashion as a man. They had every reason to believe that he was the Messiah. But they chose not to. He went lower and lower and lower. He existed as God. He came as a form of bondservant. He was in the likeness of man. And he was found in fashion as a man. And when you think Jesus had gone through all of this, could it get even worse? Here's the, the royal, regal, majestic king of kings and lord of all, a lord of lord. And they don't even recognize him. But he went even lower than that. Now the Bible tells us here, verse 8, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. He went even lower. The Bible tells us he learned obedience in his humanity. <coughs> Excuse me. He was obedient unto death. 
It's not just about being obedient. Friends, there was, a, there was an end point to all of this. And he was willing to obey his father, submit to his will. And every time you see it in, in, in the gospel, especially not my will, but thy will be done. It was not without struggle in his humanity. He was obedient unto death. When you think again, it couldn't get any worse. He's horrible and these, these wicked men, when they arrested him and they, the way they treated him, it went even lower. There's an interesting word that comes up here. <clears throat> he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. What's the next word? Even. Mark that word. That is an extremely significant word. And Paul, he put that in there. He wanted to describe the, the, and emphasize the graphicness of not just that he died, but the type of death, the description of his death. It's a powerful way in viewing. Not, not, Jesus didn't, didn't just die. He wasn't stoned. He wasn't hanged. He wasn't, he, he, he wasn't poisoned. Even the death of the cross. <coughs> Crucifixion was invented by the Persians. They were, they were pantheists. They believe any wicked person that died and, and they were going to be on a cross, they shouldn't die on the earth. The earth was holy ground. So they suspended the, the victims on a cross. And the Persians hung people there. The most horrible death invented by men. It was later passed on to the Carthaginians, then perfected by the Romans. And the Romans added to it. And the whole point is that they wanted to exact from the riffraff of the criminal every ounce of pain that can, they can inflict. This was reserved. There were no Romans, uh, no Roman uh, was put to death on a cross except those who for sedition and so forth. But it was designed for the riffraff of the criminals. And here we have Jesus Christ. He was considered one, or considered one of them. Even the death of the cross. Josephus describes this for us. The horror. The people from all over the known world that came to celebrate the Passover during that time. How the crowd celebrated. How the religious people celebrated the death of Jesus Christ. What a horror. This is the humiliation that God who existed for all eternity. This is, the, this is what Jesus was going through for you and for me. He went lower and lower and lower. And obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And before you leave this place, friends, you consider what Jesus did. I know you have done that. We've heard the story so many times. But think for a moment. Again, about the graphicness of what Jesus Christ went through for on your behalf and mine. He died for you, my friend. Thank you, my friend. Thank you so much. You have any fried chicken back now? <laughs> Even the death of the cross. Remember the Bible tells us, as he died on the cross, darkness came upon the face of the earth. Remember that? For that three hours, God 
took the world's sin, past, present, and future, and poured it upon his son, and judged his son, judged him, exacted from him the, the, the ultimate price that was required for your forgiveness and mine. He judged his son. Don't you walk away from that, friend. If you're here this morning listening to this message and, and you know in your heart God has been tugging at you. You've been hearing Pastor Sean talk about it over and over and over and somehow you become numb to it. Don't walk away. Eternity is too long. This is not a message you'll be uh, to, to joke around with. You'll be doing yourself the greatest injustice by hearing a message like this and just walking away. You can't do that. History tells us in some of the traditional writings that, that the Jewish people during that time, remember the Bible tells us that the veil of the temple ripped from top to bottom. That the leaders of the Jewish temple, they went back and they sewed the veil and put it back as if nothing happened. Really? God has spoken? How can you ignore that? How can you walk away when God has said something like that and, 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 and you just continue on as if nothing has happened? Now, they paid a horrible, horrible price in AD 70. Titus Flavius Vespasian, he marched into Jerusalem and annihilated the city. You remember that? For 1.3 million people were taken. Uh, so many of them were murdered. So many of them were, were taken as slaves, raped, uh, slaughtered. It wasn't until 1948 and the Six-Day War. Today we have Jerusalem and, and the remnant of the stone, the, the, the rubble right there at the Jerusalem Wall to remind us the Wailing Wall. The great Scottish theologian, George MacLeod, a great apologist of our faith, he said these words, I simply argue, that the cross be raised again at the center of the marketplace as well as on the steeple of the church. I am recovering the claim that Jesus was not crucified in the cathedral between two candles, but on a cross between two thieves, on a town garbage heap at the crossroads of politics, so cosmopolitan that they had to write his title in Hebrew and Latin and Greek, and at the kind of place where cynics talk smut and thieves curse. And soldiers gamble because that is what he died. That's where he died, and that is what he died about. And that is what God's people ought to be about. It is about the cross. And let your discussion with people revolve around that, my friend. There are people who don't know Jesus Christ within your own family, your neighbors, your community. And this is the message that we need to be sharing. It is about the cross, the humiliated Christ. I'll quickly wrap this up. <laughs> what do you suppose God did about it? Do you think that God just looked at what the, these evil and wicked people were doing and just walked away? And I love the way that Paul, he penned these words. He used these words here. It says, in verse 9, Therefore, God. When you see those words, you step back and listen to what God is saying. Wherefore, God also had highly exalted him. And so we have the downward steps of Christ's humiliation. But then something happened. That is my boy. That is my son. And there's something I'm going to do about it. We see the downward steps of his humiliation. And now God is going to respond to the upward steps of his exaltation. I don't have the time to go into all of it. Can you go ahead with the other slide, please? 
<clears throat> the upward steps to his, his exaltation. Suffering was always seen of Christ and the glory that should follow. In Hebrews, uh, uh, but there, 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 as I said earlier, there was, a, there was a principle here. There's a truism. There's a, there's a moral and ethical lesson behind all of this. It's an illustration of a practical point. The principle is to have an attitude of humility. Have this mind which was also in Christ Jesus. The principle is found in Matthew 20 through 12. Whosoever exalts himself shall, uh, shall be humbled and whosoever humble himself shall be exalted. The principle of two sides. Luke 14, 11. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled and he who humbles himself shall be exalted. Listen, you lift yourself up, God is going to do what? He'll push you down. But you push yourself down, who's going to exalt you? It is God. And we see this picture unfolded in the moral and ethical implications of what Jesus did. He died on the cross, even the death of the cross. And God responded. Uh, again, read through the passage. I'm just going to give you three, three uh, things there, if you can put on the other one. <clears throat> so this is, this is uh, how God responded. He raised him from the dead. And, and um, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15 gives us the details of all of that. The resurrection. <clears throat> the second we find the ascension. In Acts chapter 1 verse 11. Uh, you men of Galilee, why stand you gazing into heaven? The same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall come in like manner. Uh, you have seen him go into heaven. <clears throat> his resurrection, his ascension. And the last point and I, this is why I want to just close off with the rest of my time here. This is absolutely critical. This changes everything. Pastor Sean has been preaching on this every single week. I love the way Tom, Pastor Tom, and the, and the saga of Tom and Jerry, Pastor Tom <clears throat> uh, shared this last week under, under the Lordship of Christ. <clears throat> his coronation. It's a declaration of his Lordship. Look what it says here. Verse 9. Therefore God also had highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. That Jesus Christ is Lord and so forth. <clears throat> God gave him a new name. Now you read this passage and you think, wow. We know what that name is. What was his name? It was what? We read this and it, it looks like it's Jesus. But that's not what he's talking about. The name is going to reflect sovereignty and rulership and kingship. The name is going to reflect him as God. We know... <clears throat> We know there were three ceremonies that, that took place at Jesus' birth, eight day, at the, on the eighth day. First of all, circumcision, where every Jewish boy was circumcised, and he was given a name. What name was Jesus? What was, he, what was given to him at his, on the eighth day? It was Jesus. So that's not a new name. I mean, that was a common name. That's why he had to be identified as Jesus of Nazareth. That was Jesus of Capernaum, Jesus of Galilee. The, the, the name was a common name. It's a human name. 
the redemption of the firstborn, <clears throat> and the third, the purification of childbirth and so forth. That those are ceremonies performed at, at the eighth day. <clears throat> but the name Paul is referring to here, he explains it. At his, ex- as it, ex- as it at his exaltation, he was formally and officially and judicially given this name. It's a declaration. And it's at this name, something that's going to affect all of eternity is going to affect uh, the whole universe. Therefore, God also had highly exalted him and given him the name, the definite article. It's not a name. It is the name. Now, follow me here, follow me here carefully because I want to just, if you can just go through those verses. This wasn't a new concept uh, uh, this wasn't something Paul just came up with. Paul was actually quoting from the Old Testament. He was describing that in Jesus, this was fulfilled. In Isaiah 45, I have sworn by myself the word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and, and will not turn back. That to me, every knee will bow and every tongue will swear allegiance. Does that sound familiar? In the book of Romans, can you get the other one? For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue will give praise to God. That's, Paul said it in the book of Romans, quoting from the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah. And now he's going to repeat it in, in Philippians chapter 2. And look what it, again it says here. Wherefore God also had highly exalted him, given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, those things in heaven and those things on earth, those things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is what? Is Lord. That is the name. Jesus Christ is Lord. And we know he was always Lord. He just reflected that. That is why you find in the New Testament letters, the epistles, it always starts like this. Or in reference to a servant of the, the what? The Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says in Acts chapter 16, to believe in who? The Lord Jesus Christ, prophet, priest, and king. In Romans chapter 9, is that up there? Oh, sorry, chapter 10. If, we, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be what? You shall be saved. Friends, this changes everything. Jesus was always Lord, but there was a declaration, an eternal declaration made because of the resurrection. No one can, conf- uh, can, can question it anymore. And I want you to know something, friend, that there are millions and millions and millions and millions of people right now, right at this very moment, this second, who are, who are shouting out, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. But they are in a crisis eternity. They are forever without Jesus. Because they rejected him all their lives. They, know, they knew the truth. They rejected him. And now they've died and gone on. They have no hope. But guess what? They're willing to make a decision now. Just like the rich man, right? Just like the rich man. And Lazarus. Josh McDowell, I love the way he puts it. I'll, I'll wrap this up. I preachers always say that. But <clears throat> the names of past inventors, scientists, explorers, proud statesmen of Greece and Rome have come and gone. The names of past scientists, philosophers, and theologians have come and gone. But the name of this man multiplies more and more. 
And though time has spread 2,000 years between the people of the, 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 this generation and the mockers of the crucifixion, he still lives. His enemies could not destroy him. The politicians could not subdue him. The Pharisees could not control him, and the religious system could not muzzle him. Rome could not silence him, and the devil and all his demons could not defeat him, and the grave could not hold him down. He stands forth on the highest pinnacle of God's heavenly glory. He was buffeted and bruised. He was plunged into the abyss of nagging agony, and he died in, 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 in ignominy and suffering and shame. But it is John in the book of Revelation who shouted in chapter 19, verse 6, verse 6, Hallelujah, the Lord, God, omnipotent, reigns forevermore. Amen? That is the Jesus that we're talking about here, the resurrected, the resurrected Christ. The Jewish, had, the Jewish people had long believed that the name of God was unpronounceable. We should never utter the name of the Lord in vain. And so, the name that they came up with, they used four consonants. W-H, oh, sorry, Y-W, <clears throat> Y-H-W-N. It's a tetragrammaton, as they call it. And it is pronounced Yahweh or Yahweh or Jehovah. And that is the very name they substituted and use the Hebrew term, Hebrew term Adonai, the supreme lordship, kingship, sovereign ruler, the Lord of lords. And it was in direct reference to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Friends, do you know him today? Don't walk away. God has spoken to you. Speak to someone. We have people in the back there who pray with you. I'll be up here. And God is knocking at the door of your heart. Don't just hear a message like this and walk away. We'll be forever with him or we'll forever live without him. You can confess him today as Lord by, uh, by, uh, voluntarily or one day, my friend, one day we will do it by force. And it's going to be too late. It's going to be too late. This is your moment. This is the accepted time. Today's the day of salvation. Let's bow our heads. I'm going to ask Pete to make his way up. Where is Pete? <clears throat> Father, we thank you for your word for reminding us the great humiliation that you, you went through on our behalf. One day we're going to be held accountable for that. There are many here who have been coming to church every week. And Lord, we, it's so easy to miss it, Lord. It's so easy to miss the truth of who you are, of your son. Thank you, Father. Even though the humiliation took place, you responded with a great exaltation. The resurrection of Christ. His ascension, his coronation. We praise you, we thank you, and we continue to worship you for the rest of the day in Jesus' name.